Welcome to Hot Seating, the drama education podcast with myself, Avian Finnegan. In this podcast, we interview well-known drama practitioners and community artists. We reflect on their drama experiences through the lens of the drama strategies. Like you define the space within your classroom, we are defining the space for conversations about drama in education, not just in Ireland, but all over the world. This is a podcast brought to you by the Association of Drama in Education in Ireland, also known as the ADEI. In the hot seat this week is Christine Hatton. Christine is a lecturer in the School of Education at the University of Newcastle in Australia. Christine's work has centred around teaching, research and professional learning in drama education in schools. She has led workshops and created resources for teachers and regularly gives professional development workshops for teachers on playbuilding using technologies in drama and curriculum planning and assessment. She regularly presents at conferences in Australia and internationally. Christine has a long-standing interest in the nature of teaching and learning in drama and the arts, drawn from her PhD study on transformative learning and teaching in drama. She is interested in the way research can capture and allow analysis of the nuances of what drama teachers do, what works and what makes a difference to students' lives in complex times and contexts. So pour yourself a cup of tea, sit back, relax and enjoy this conversation on drama education with Christine Hatton. So today I'm joined on the podcast with Christine Hatton. Christine, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. So you're all the way over in Australia as well. So we've got um we've got quite the uh, the time difference with with the two of us between Toronto and Australia. So Christine, can you tell me what is your first memory of drama, your still image? Oh, it's a series of them actually, um, because it took a while for it to actually be drama in in what we perceive to be drama in its current form. I think, um, like many drama teachers, uh, I I grew up being a uh, an attention seeker <laughs> as a child, um, and there wasn't really quite a place to to put that energy uh, as as a as a child. So, and I, I'm the youngest of five, very Irish Catholic family, and. Um, so I, you know, I think it was my job and my, I'm much younger than my siblings. So it was my job to be an int- attention seeking uh, little pain in the neck. Um, I have to interrupt you, Christine. This is like looking in a mirror. I am the youngest of five and there's quite a big age gap. And I'm yes. also an attention seeker. Yes. So yes. we have that in common. Well, you know, I used to say to my parents, well, it took you, you know, like really it wasn't until the fifth that you really got your shit together. You know, like <laughs> we're the best ones. Um, yeah, it's like you, it took you time, but finally you got perfection. So, um, yeah, not not to mention my, that annoyed my siblings greatly. Um, so I used to I used to do lots of kind of performances to get people's attention all the time. So puppets and and plays and stories and um, any kind of dress up that I could do in front of anyone and their friends and make people laugh. And I I think I I knew really early that I could make people laugh. Um, I was very, very tiny child. I'm, I'm still only five foot now, but as a child, I was minute, but I had this capacity for talk. And um, 
people thought I was hilarious. So my father was a uh, university professor and uh, in teacher education. And so he would often put me up in front of, uh, he'd have international teacher education conferences that he would convene. And he would put me in as the warm up act of, you know, in front of all these professors telling jokes and <laughs> being hilarious. And, um, and I think that was my kind of first understanding about, you know, that, that thrill of an audience um, sort of came from there. And, you know, and that, that probably wasn't drama per se, but it certainly gave me performance experience. So in a, in a way that was kind of a bit unusual. No one else in my family is like that. So, um, and, you know, my, my, my mother was a teacher too. They were both teachers and she had the, you know, I was lucky that I came to their lives when they were in middle of their career, progressivist sort of educators and really um, arts focused by that stage. So, it was my mum actually that took me to the marionette theatre in um, in Sydney uh, as a child, and where I first discovered puppets. And so that was a really quite a telling kind of experience for me. So we didn't have drama in the curriculum uh, as growing up. I'm that old, uh, and I remember her actually saying to me when I was training to be a teacher, "You know, there's this woman called Dorothy Heathcote. She's absolutely revolutionising." education in the UK you know maybe you should look into it and I at that point I was like no I'm only just doing this on the side I'm going to be uh you know in the theatre you know and and it was quite negative about joining my parents in the education route so um and then of course I went on to study more and grew up a bit yeah <laughs> and realized actually that I love teaching and um so you started out in, in the in the theatre field then before you moved into? Well, the, the degree I did was theatre studies. Uh, I did a Bachelor of Theatre Studies um, and then I did a diploma in drama education uh, and, and secondary teaching and uh, then went out and taught for a bit and then I went back and did my Master's in Theatre Studies. Um, so that's the kind of background. But most of my working life has been as a teacher mm. um, with a bit of you know, making theatre in schools, but also, you know, doing some theatre on the side if I could early in the early days. Um, and then in, in the end, you know, teaching is just all consuming. So the worlds merge and your teaching life is is the focus um, of everything. They merge and collide a bit as well, don't they? They merge and collide, yes, absolutely. So Amazing. So, and are you still, so you're obviously teaching a lot now, but do you still dabble at all in, in the theatre yourself? Uh, not not as a maker anymore. Um, I still do work with young people um, in making drama and, and researching because that's, as an academic research, is de deemed as being more important. Um, I have in recent years actually turned my attention to the broader arts field and uh, looked at the, the relationships between schools and artists and theatre companies and look at that kind of nexus between education and the professional theatre world and, and, and sort of done more work in that research and writing um, and, and some dramaturgical work that I've always kind of done here and there along the way. Um, so, so more recently I've done some research into arts, artists in schools, residencies, um, and looked at the kind of creative ecologies that are, uh, developed when you have an artist on staff <laughs> as, as a regular 
part of the world of the school. Um, and we looked at um, myself and Mary Mooney uh, got some a grant to look at six schools and three different projects over three years and look longitudinally at, at the impacts of creating a bigger arts culture in schools. So that's been one side of my work, but I also do work with um, companies that make work for theatre, for youth audiences and young people and children. So doing some analysis of um, some of their work and some of their um, relationships with and their processes uh, uh, with different arts organisations. So I've always kind of had that dabble in, in, in theatre for young audiences as well. Mm. Um, has been another area of interest. So I've managed to kind of join in but also make some research out of it too. So it's That's really interesting. Um, I'd like to read that research about the, the artist on staff. And what kind of a place does drama have uh, in Australia at the moment in terms of education? Um, we've been fairly lucky that we've had a really um, proactive drama education community in Australia um, that has made sure that drama is mostly part of every state in Australia, their curriculum, um, both in primary education and secondary. And we've had the marvellous work of, um, of John O'Toole over many decades and others who have made sure that that is there not only in a state-based um, process but also in um, at a national level with an Australian curriculum that makes sure that there are all the arts uh, are represented in the curriculum. It's not without its difficulties and its tensions um, by any means. And certainly in my state, New South Wales, which is the largest state in terms of numbers and school systems, we've got the most schools, the most kids, the most teachers. It has, it's been a bit of a rocky road um, mm -hmm. to, to maintain that and sustain that. Um, but we've had drama in the curriculum for about, 30 years maybe maybe more 40 wow, um, great. in various in various forms um so um you know it, it and that that coincides with our educational drama association starting and moving and and agitating and growing etc so um you know they've been really pivotal and still are in in making sure that um we're at the table when decisions are made if we can be um at That's a higher really level but you know it varies it, it ebbs and flows but mostly I, I would say like most countries western countries particularly um the the provision for drama education in primary schools is always problematic um in terms of equity and access um but secondary mostly it's an elective that students can do um right through to formal examination at the final end of school so um and, and I'm old enough to have been part of that right from the get-go, <laughs> the senior curriculum in New South Wales um, for a long time. So I, I've done other activities where I've been president of Drama New South Wales and served on the Drama Australia board. And and then I've also been a, a I thought I'd go, if you can't beat them, join them and I'll be a, um, a, a curriculum advisor at the state office and I'll muscle in from a bureaucratic point of view and, you know, I did that for a few years. So, you know, I've, I've had lots of different roles um, as well as my teaching and then my academic life, which I think is such an important part of how we work. And just that brings me nicely on to different roles. So what about teacher in role? So a standout drama moment for you 
as a practitioner? Oh, there's been a, a few of them. Um, I think my probably my first case study that I conducted for my PhD still stands out as being a lifelong process that has shaped me. And, and I, I look back at that and think of the whole of my life leading to that point um, where I was the head teacher of drama in a school and I conducted um, a performance process with a group of my students, uh, co-curricular work, um, that became the first case study where I was really looking at, um, I'd just finished my um, master's degree and had done a special project in feminist theatre and women's theatre. Um, so heavily influenced by that, uh, I wanted to make feminist theatre with girls. And um, so I, I, that first case study was, um, was, was, uh, amazing because I got to be privileged to help um, a very diverse, culturally diverse group of students create a work that was not only meaningful to them in their community, but actually at that time was, was actually fairly radical where they made a, um, a performance about daughterhood and about being daughters. Um, so, and, and really that became it my focus for my PhD, which is about how do you how do you actually pragmatically um, activate a feminist drama praxis in in a classroom context, and and what it did was it opened up a Pandora's box for me because then I became really fascinated with um, you know processes of using verbatim methods with young people to tell their stories to be empowered to be involved in the act of storying and how we don't often hear the stories, the everyday stories of the young people that we teach. So within that case study, was there a moment where I can just kind of get a sense from you there when you're talking about verbatim and everything, when you had that group of diverse young women and you were making this work, was there a moment where you went, oh, you know, the hairs on the back of my neck are standing oh, up here? Probably the very first practical um, devising workshop. So you know, New South Wales, where, where I'm based, has a very strong curriculum focus on play building, on making theatre, devising theatre. And so as a, as, a, as a teacher and as a practitioner, that's always been a real interest of mine in devising, making work, because I could never find plays that, um, yeah. <laughs> that had my kind of students in them. So I thought, oh, so I'll stop looking, let's just make it. <laughs> and so I stopped actually looking for school productions um, in my role as a teacher that were outside the realm of experience of my, my students. I thought, well, let's just start with you. Let's start with where you're at and what your experiences are and what your family stories are and where you've come from. Mm. Um, and so the very first practical workshop, I still have it on, on you know, an old file somewhere. And I, I remember doing some physical theatre with them about fabric as being a metaphor for identity and looking at its qualities and and the sensation of that fabric if we were to to imagine it in the space <laughs> and what they came up with was unbelievable <laughs> and I, at the at that moment i it was almost like and i get this when i work with with girls particularly is suddenly it's like opening up 
a window in a stuffy room or a, a vista that you have not ever seen before, that there's that whole kind of feminist idea of, you know, there's a whole world there. It comes from a play by Dorothy Hewitt. You know, there's a whole world in there, but it's going to go to the grave with me. <laughs> Australian playwright, a female playwright. Um, and it really, really, for me, it, that actually was a really spine-tingling moment because I thought, and I thought I was really switched on and really feminist and really inclusive and I'd already been doing all of this fabulous work, but I hadn't, I hadn't really truly asked to see, to, to hear and to, to, to walk with them um, when I thought I had, <laughs> which was very arrogant of me. But I think the moment I really switched and provided creative spaces and tools for them to do that excavation um, and how important that was because they were girls that, whose stories weren't ever told. <laughs> their backgrounds were not were I'm, not I'm, usually part of the world. I'm, I'm dying to know here can you share any of the stories or is there anything that you can remember um well well we well in that particular moment we, we worked symbolically completely symbolically we did a lot a lot the whole of the the work was very much physical lots and lots of physical theater lots and lots of um of uh comedy they were really funny girls <laughs> And I, I see comic women as a bit radical, so always yeah. like to have lots of, of comedy in the work. And I also engaged them after a while. I realised that it wasn't just their stories. They were part of a continuum. So then I brought in their mothers. Oh. So their mothers came in for, I bribed them with chocolate cake, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me about your baby stories. Tell me about your stories of your, your daughters as, as, as young children. And we got talking and... And those were recorded and then I let the students hear back what their mothers had said. And oh. so then we, then we started juxtaposing the mother's dialogue with the girls' dialogue, being asked similar kinds of questions and, and the girls became interested in excavating family photos and we were very Brechtian back in the day before we even had proper LCD projections but we were projecting images and words and video of mothers talking and girls talking with them and and this sort of sense of the theatre being a platform for finding um, connection and, and resonance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's something that I kind of wrote a lot about at the time, about this idea of what does drama do and, and how does it function, you know, in terms of identities and, and school cultures and com community building, really. Mm. Um, and you know, I had I had students who, um, and I did all sorts of things. I, because I, I, once it took off, it just took off like a wildfire. And as a, a teacher, I really did feel like I was running, right? <laughs> I was flying by the seat of my pants, but also as a researcher, because it was almost like I'd opened up this Pandora's box, and I I kind of didn't have a lot of tools to actually guide me because it was before then, before we even had a word for verbatim theatre. Yeah, you know it. it <laughs> It was the 90s. So, you know, I, I kind of, um, I was struggling to find language and processes for what I was doing. I'd done some work as a dramaturg. I worked in women's theatre and had worked for the, the Sphinx Theatre, which used to be the women's theatre group in London. And I'd done some work with them and I've looked at women's playwriting and 
previously my studies, but, you know, I was flying blind. You know, what kind of practice am I doing? What is this, <laughs> this whole process? So I didn't really have a kind of language for it. And I really was testing everything. And the whole, the whole thing that I think was the why it was such a, a pivotal moment was that I felt the enormous honour of carrying this process through um, and then they did a tour and went to other girls schools where they presented the work and and I was very keen to to let the girls lead the the post performance discussion and 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 talk about the things that were connecting or disconnecting or different with the girl groups that they that they presented for like a little bit like theater and education uh, a kind of tour that they did um, and, you know, we had lots of teachers and lots of community members come and, and, uh, and indeed some mothers who'd never, ever been to the school because they didn't feel welcome um, came to all the rehearsals <laughs> and came to every night and came to everything because they felt so proud um, and so moved. And almost everybody, particularly the women um, in any of the audiences, were literally um, weeping by the end of it to oh. say you've really captured the tension between mothers and daughters, you know, in a way that they hadn't seen before. So that sort of spurred me on to keep working with girls. So I did more research with girls and looked at whole different sorts of things, things to do with friendship and connection and, you know, building ways to can a drama work in an applied theatre way within a school context to actually um, create safe constructs for them to really think problematically about the way girls are raised to, to, to be with one another and what girl friendships and how toxic they can be. And um, so I did some research on that too, using process drama this time as the focus um, of that research project and looking at a wonderful book called The Red Tree as being the focus of that. What age group were the were the focus of that? Um, they were 14 to 15 year olds. Yeah. Ah, right in the heart of puberty. Yeah, the fun time. <laughs> yeah. I'd yeah. be interested to, to I think I think all women would relate to that um that particular I suppose issue. You know, it's something yeah. you know, there these, yeah. these things come up again and again. And even so myself, my I mostly teach um kind of kindergarten age and mm even then you can start to see these kind of situations arising and how you deal with it. That's, that's really yeah. interesting. I also just and, want and to point out that... Way, trying to find a way for them to do something differently, you know, and this is what drama, of course, is, is, is most powerful in its educational kind of focus, you know, to let's rehearse something done differently. What, what happened if we reconceptualise the relationship between these, these groups of people or... You know, insider, outsider. Um, you know, the complexity of relationships. What if, what if we use the drama to rehearse courage, mm. to re rehearse safety, to re rehearse community when things are fractured? You know, and certainly that's been a real thread <laughs> that's run right through um, my interests for a long time. Like most drama educators, I think. Yeah. It's, it's such a powerful tool for that, like practicing yeah. life. Let's practice life yeah. <laughs> while we can in a nice, safe place. Um, yeah. It's great. So that that brings me on to the role on the wall. 
So an influential person that has shaped your practice. Oh, there's been a, there's been a, a number. I mean, obviously my parents, um, both being educators, I resisted it for a long time. I'm not, I'm not a teacher. I'm an artist. Um, and what and was I it that you resisted? Was it the? Oh, because they were boring. Yeah. I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought, you know, boring, boring old people. But then I realised actually that they were really at the edge of cutting edge of their practice at that, at that time, and I can see that now. Mm. Um, and I thought that somehow education, like art, was more elevated. <laughs> so yeah. I kind of thought, okay, you know art is where I want to go and 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 of course it took me a while even in my PhD to kind of wrestle with the concept of artistry in drama teaching and I've gone on to research that as well um, because there is artistry and if we think there isn't then I think we're mistaken. (laughs) Yeah I read a little bit about something you'd written on that and do you know what it really struck a chord with me. Um, Yeah there is absolute artistry and you can't look at anything that people do and say, oh, no, no, it's just the strategy at work there. It's like, well, no, there's a lot more going on in that little moment um, that is that is really sophisticated. And and certainly, you know, the people, the, the academics that have inf- influenced me from, um, so when I was an undergrad, uh, Dr Margaret Williams at the University of New South Wales, um, prominent um, scholar in Australian theatre, and also um, in women's theatre really fostered that in me um, and supervised my little project when I was an undergrad. And she also introduced me to puppetry too because her partner, her um, husband is uh, Richard Bradshaw, who was the artistic director of that puppet theatre that my mother had taken me to as a child. So it sort of came around full circle with her and she still uh, has a big has had a big influence on a lot of my early thinking when I was just starting, uh, and encouraged me to 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 keep working. Um, and obviously, my PhD supervisor Robin Ewing, um, absolutely um, stunning thinker and 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 shining light in in the development of my thinking and practice. Um, and I guess you know even in terms of. Uh, who or what kind of work has kind of influenced me I I guess you know more recently it's I've come back to the old stuff I've come back to uh, Dorothy Hethcote's work and um, come back to uh, the archives and and the the, you know the old writings and recordings and 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 gone back because I've my work's taken a trajectory where I'm I'm really focusing on rolling roll as a strategy now um so, and interestingly, you know, I wasn't trained uh, by anyone who knew anything about Dorothy Hethcote. So I came at it sort of later after practising and after teaching in England with um, a fine bunch of teachers who, you know, would happily teach process drama every day. And I would kind of like, but where's the play in this? You know, and it took, I had to kind of learn as a practising teacher and 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 learn more. And, and that's been a kind of a bit of a lifelong quest. But... Certainly a few years ago, um, after attempting to do an international rolling roll project that was quite interesting, I, I thought I'm going to have to go back to the, um, to, the, to the archives. So I made it to Manchester and, you know, 
went to the archives, you know, which is like going to Mecca, you know, for drama <laughs> educators and quite hilariously. And I've written about this since. I wrote a paper with Vivek about this, about how, you know, the kind of when you're not one who has been touched by her practice in a direct way as a student, um, it's a kind of an odd experience coming at it from the outside in, you know, um, and to try and unpick it and understand how something might work um, as a bit of an afterthought because you weren't there in the first generation of people who were influenced by Dorothy. And so you feel a bit like an imposter, you know, creeping in <laughs> or like a grandkid creeping inside, you know, your grandma's <laughs> closet. But certainly when I went to the, when I went to that, the, I have to tell you something funny and I've written about this, so I'm okay with sharing this in a podcast, but <laughs> When I finally made my way to Manchester, um, and and I, I got to the I got to the um, got to the archive, and John Rayner was uh, looking after it at at that point, and he sort of said, "Okay, here's what you need, and here's what you do, and here's the code for the photocopier," and he let me in, and and he let me there, and I was by myself, and I remember sitting there thinking, "Holy shit, he's let me here." No, I, like I felt like a, 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 a kind of an interloper. You know, here I was in this space with this woman's whole life of work and, and I kind of looked around to see whether anyone could see me or whether there were any cameras and I thought, oh, I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed, you know, and, and I started creeping around and thinking, I feel a bit weird here. <laughs> and then... They're in the, the boxes and everything in the archive are beautifully laid out, you know, in these, 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 these compactus. And I, I very theatrically stepped up to the compactus and I threw it open. <laughs> like some, you know, curtains opening on a stage. And I laid my arms out and I stepped in. And I took a really deep breath to try and breathe in the aura, the, the, the spirit, the whatever <laughs> that I could get thinking, here before me lies all the magic of this woman's extensive career and impact. And I just want to breathe it in before I touch anything. <laughs> Oh. And, you know, I sound like such a fan rather than a, an adult, you know. This no. wasn't that long ago, I might add. I just, and then I just thought, oh, Christine, you're being an idiot. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> get going, get moving. But, you know, <laughs> Take I, notes. I, I, had this, I had this kind of moment where I did this double take and just dwelt with it and just felt the enormity of what was before me. And it was honestly, I was moved. That <laughs> and, is lovely. And a, bit teary, and a bit teary because it was kind of like, oh, it, it's this is massive. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, a bit of a massive moment. So, um, and you know what? Sad. I enjoyed your reenactment just there. I, I'm, I'm just sad nobody else <gasps> could see it. <laughs> it <was great. laughs> Very dramatic. Yeah, I that it did really happen that way. I, I'm not making it up, but I actually did do that. And, and I feel like a complete. As we say in Australia, a complete dad for telling that story. But, um, you know, 
I love it. So, so we're ta- we've talked about a lot of times that went right so far. Um, but yeah. now I'd love to look at your conscience, Ali. So a time where it all went wrong. Yeah. Um, oh, look, you know, lots of times early on, um, I think I learned very, very much by, um, by mistake, uh, as one often does when beginning being a teacher. Um, and, and I've written um, also about a particular very serious kind of um, malfunction uh, in Peter Duffy's book, the, What Was I Thinking? You know, Misadventures in Drama Education, which has got some beautiful stories in it. So I'm not going to talk about that one because people can read that if they want, and it's a serious one. I guess um, a, f- a funnier one Um I, because I, when I started as head teacher at the, at the place that I did eventually did the first case study at, I'd just come back from England. I'd been teaching in England for a few years and I'd been working with the, the, the um, Sphinx Theatre Company, the Women's Theatre Group. And I, you know, been seeing a lot of theatre and I thought I was just so, so cultured. And so I, I basically set about putting on school productions that were all the productions that I'd seen at the National Theatre in the UK. So I was, you know, seen as being so cutting edge, you know. <laughs> and I remember um, one of the plays that I'd seen when I was living in England was Complicite's uh, production of The Visit. Marvellous play. Um, and very dark, uh, uh, Mutz, a uh, very bleak work about uh, a woman maligned who comes back to take revenge on a town and a particular man. And so I thought, I'm in a girls' school. It's got a great main character that's a female, and I'll 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 I'll, I'll run this pr- production as our school production. And so, um, you know, was was doing the usual stuff, casting, rehearsing, etc. And there was one student who was, you know, in the chorus, you know, on the, she was a villager, you know, on the edge of everything. And I remember actually everyone, we were rehearsing in this old school hall that was dusty and vast and terrible sound and terrible um, acoustics and this tiny stage, you know, in this old-fashioned traditional school theatre, a school hall, and um, they were up on the stage and... I, I remember yelling at this child, this, she wasn't a child, she was about, you know, 14. And I, I can't, I think her name was Sarah, I can't remember. And it was like, Sarah, Sarah, pay attention. You know, because she she obviously was completely bored being, you know, villager number 20 at the back. And um, I just, you know, was constantly barking at her and saying, you know, you're pulling focus from the group. I said, I can't look at anything except you, <laughs> you know, scratching your hair and looking away and not, not being in the moment of this was a really tense scene on a, on a um, railway platform where the, the town decides to kill this guy um, in, to get money from this rich woman. And, and so it was a pivotal moment in the play. I said, we can't be looking at you at this moment because the whole of the, the, the community had to advance closer and closer and she wasn't paying attention. Anyway, flip over to she finally made it through enough and, and, and put up with me barking at her the whole time and... Uh, and then we've, we've got the whole of the school hall filled with parents and friends and teachers, you know, opening night. <laughs> I'm down the back, you know, with a little VHS camera on a tripod trying to capture it. Uh, it shows how long ago it was. And, um, <laughs> 
and I'd, I'd had these flats made that were on trestle wheels that they could move that were about eight feet tall. They were, you know, quite, quite high. And these were representing the, the doors around them on the platform and they started to move, et cetera, at various points in the scene. And um, the scene starts and, of course, I'm looking straight at Sarah to make sure she's actually doing it properly. And then the students performing, you know, when kids perform, sometimes they don't pay attention to what's around them. And the group moved forward and lurched. And because of where she was, you start to see these flats just waving with the whole of the, the, the student body in front, like ready to land on them. You know, 20 or 30 children, some of the year sevens, like little, little ones. Um, and this flat starts to waver backwards and forwards. And, of course, you know, who was not paying attention enough to see <laughs> that a big accident was just about to happen? But Sarah. <laughs> oh, and Sarah. Could, go on, good on you, Sarah. So <laughs> I, the fabulous part was that she ste- she looked, she I could see her clocking eyes with me <laughs> at the back of the hall, like, what do I do? <laughs> And, and you could see her going, oh, I'm the only one that sees it. What do I do? What do I do? And so she she leapt behind it and grabbed it and I could see her little fingers holding this massive flat from, from you know, completely squashing the whole cast. And then I could see her hands moving behind it because she realised that she had a line to say. Oh, her no. One line in the whole play. Oh, villager number 12. <laughs> <laughs> And so I could see her hands moving and I could see her kicking another student trying to get her to swap over and hold it so she could say, that's right, sir, or whatever oh. her sentence was. Oh, that's so brilliant. That's that my funny brilliant. story. Thank goodness for, you know, it's made me certainly very um, very uh, pleased to have, I mean, she's possibly neurodivergent. I do not know, but thank goodness for the one who wasn't paying attention because yeah. she saved about, <laughs> she saved about 30 there's, children. From there's always one. Um, that's amazing that that's actually it. great that's a good story and it's good to keep in the back of our heads because I think we've all been that person you know going we're all looking at you um, we're all looking at you stop taking stop pulling focus you know? and actually I have been the person that the flats have fallen down on um, oh, so, oh yeah, yeah mm. that's happened to yeah. me before but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, H&S was not really huge in back in that day but it's certainly better now that's for yeah. sure that's for sure, um, yeah. yeah. And of course, I came away thinking, you know, nah, I should have put sandbags on them, <laughs> you know, to weight them down. Of course, you know, every day is a school day, isn't it? Oh my goodness! <laughs> so yeah, now we're going to look at <laughs> we're going to look at thought tracking. Um, so the future of drama. This is quite the profound <laughs> question. Um, so what mm-hmm. should it be? What should be next? And also, what do you think will actually be next? Hmm. Hmm, I don't know. Um, I mean, there's a difference between hope and and necessity and what's needed, and then there's the big gap between the reality of how how things happen. Um, so what I hope is that it keeps growing and and keeps um, thriving. Sadly, I think we're coming to new levels of problems 
<laughs> about that actually taking place. Um, and I think that um, there has to be a mind shift in education, um, um, a, a seismic shift in education, as we were referring to earlier, about understanding the true potential of what drama and the arts do for children and in education. And we have been banging on about this for so long and we have so much overwhelming evidence. And so I must admit, I had a student of mine when I was saying this in a class only earlier in the year and she said, you know, I've got a question for you. I said, okay, what's the question? She said, you've been doing this advocacy for such a long time. For decades, I said, yep, <laughs> absolutely. And she said, aren't you tired that it's still not being heard? Mm. And I said, yeah, I'm absolutely tired. I'm tired of this. I'm tired that we still have to you know, validate, argue, prove, you know, um, that it's not, that the things that we're talking about are still on the table <laughs> for discussion, you know, in terms of the awareness out there. And, you know, I think people in the past have said, okay, well, drama educators like to just talk to themselves or drama researchers just like to, to talk to themselves, Um or schools are so insular and that's the reason why nobody knows. I don't know. I actually think it's bigger than that. I don't think it's just that we talk to ourselves or that we affirm our own backgrounds and, and backyards. I think it's bigger than that. I think and it's taken a bigger level of uh, pandemic years have been very, very hard everywhere <laughs> for the arts and for arts education in schools and in universities. But I, I feel a bit like we're going back to square one because at least in previous decades we've had a seat at the table. But I, I must admit the older I get and the more bitter I get about governments and about um, system providers and curriculum decision makers, the more I see no one being accountable for removing or decimating the arts and and that's not just um me saying oh okay we need more time we need more of course we do but i find it quite interesting how arguments evidence research is strategically ignored by the people who make decisions um, and no matter how loudly how many um, the emeritus professors, you know, people in different places say the same things. Um, what drama and the arts bring to education and children's lives, I just, I find it unfathomable that, that we are still having the debates that we're having or even not having a debate because it's kind of like it's too expensive or, you know, governments decide of the story and curriculum that they're no going to time. tell. Not one. Yeah. You know, and, and what it does is, you know, myself and, of course, all educators, you know, of drama around the world have spent their whole careers making sure that children have access to the arts. And 
um, and, and you know we've had that ignored and it's uh, and it should not be up to I mean being and it's the hard part about that is to to instill hope in beginning teachers about what they're walking into and um, you know I, I sadly have to say to my student teachers you have to be you know articulate advocates and and there's a you know advocacy is a, a lot you know much maligned at times because you know people sometimes say oh drama teachers you're just all the time going on about how fabulous drama is well it is <laughs> and and you know I've spent a lot of my time in recent years really trying to, like a lot of other practitioners, show people more broadly and other people in education, other teachers, other um, system administrators, principals of schools, we still have to educate them about what drama can do and what the arts can do. And once, my my hope is that that we, we don't have to do that anymore, that it's just an understood thing, that they know, they get it, <laughs> how important the having access um, to those experiences is for, for children. And, you know, we can have all of the, the, you know, rhetoric about well-being and about social and emotional learning and healing after COVID or disaster, et cetera. But unless the decision makers actively make space, you know, it's very hard to be heard when it's strategically ignored and it is strategically ignored. And, and I find that much more malicious, I think, in some ways um, than just not, you know, having good evidence or good advocacy or good processes. Mm. Um, it can kind of be absolutely erased, certainly in different countries. Um, you know, and I know a lot of people will say, oh, you know, you drama people, you always feel so persecuted. It's like, well, we are. This is real. I can I can give you a, quite a few examples right now <laughs> of this happening, um, and I think I'm tired of it because I don't think that we need to have those discussions anymore. We know how powerfully drama works for individuals, how drama works for teaching practice, how it works for communities, how it works for cultures and 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 other marginalised groups. We know what it can do to provide hope and, and um, cohesion and connection. Um, but the space to do that work is being eroded. And, and, you know, it's all very well to say, okay, you need to try harder or you need to, I mean, I find I'm coming at drama now. The work of the research that I'm doing now and the work that I'm doing now is coming in any way I can get in the door. <laughs> So, see, I'm going back to being that um, youngest child of, you know, I'm going to get <laughs> me, your attention me. somehow. <laughs> look at me, look at me, you know, and, know, and going in and saying, particularly, you know, having, having you know, starting to work with Hethcote's rolling roll um, approach to try and say, show teachers and parents and principals and children that this is another way to do education. You, we don't have to do it. Um, like we have been so far and and we can do it better and we can do it with much more heart uh, in the way in the way that we work um, so that's kind of where it's been sort of taking me and I think I'd like to see 
all the good stuff, <laughs> all the good stuff. I think all of it's good. You know, mantle, rolling roll, process drama, theatre work, playbuilding, devising. I, I want all the children to have access to that form, you know, in, 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 and all of its kaleidoscope of possibilities. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen, though. <laughs> oh, I hope. I hope it does. Um, I hope it does. I really do. I think, and that's been the theme of many of the podcasts as well. I like everyone's just echoing the, the same sentiments. Um, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> which, I mean, that's what we do. We just try and, yeah. as drama practitioners, we're imploring and begging and reminding and saying, what knocking on doors? Why can't you realize the value of what we're doing yeah. and how great it is? And, and why are you perpetually you know, shocked when, when it is good? You know? I know. And, and in the last, the big last rolling roll project that I did, I had a teacher who I thought was going to be really difficult. And, um, and you know, it was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. And I, I thought, oh, it's going to be problematic. And, you know, I think when it came down to it, it was like, you know, you know, you said, oh, what if as a teacher you're not very good at teaching drama? I said, well, so we can work on that. <laughs> and he said, oh, but what if you don't like drama? I said, well, that's something else. I said, let mm. me change your mind. Let me change your mind. Come on. <laughs> Get over yourself. Let me change your mind. And then, of course, by the end of the project, he was just, you know, well, certainly in the first class, he just jumped into role and oh. joined the children and was, and then ended up being an ad advocate for the project. And, and I might be going back there next year if COVID allows it to, oh, to do it in the city. See, that's so, amazing, isn't it? So no, can I ask about, you? Come on, let me just show you. <laughs> you know, if I can show you, you'll understand. When you see it, you'll believe it. So that brings yeah. me to your quick fire round. Um, spotlight on. So I think I think I I feel like I get a sense of this already. But what is your why? <laughs> oh, you said it. <laughs> why do you do it, and why should anyone do it? And can you sum it up in three sentences? Okay, three sentences. Okay, the first one's political. All children have a fundamental right to quality arts education. And that has to be with equity. So it's not just that you are born into privilege, that you receive that access. That's the why I keep going. Um, teachers need to be properly trained and educated uh, and given continued support to grow their practice. We tend to give them nothing and shove them into complex contexts and say, you can teach everything with only three tutorials in drama education or something, you know, even less in some places. Um, and I think the last thing is my why is what an absolute privilege it is to be part of growing someone else's imagination. God, what a job. It's mm. the best part. It really is. <laughs> you summed it up so well. Um, what is one drama strategy or technique that you always go to? Mm, I think, you know, fundamentally, I'm a, uh, because of my, my research background and because of my love of the art form is the, it's not really a strategy, but a kind of fundamental belief in the primacy of the story, you know, that the importance of, of telling stories, of being involved in the act, the, the cognitive and creative act of storying and stepping inside stories. I see story as being a fundamental part of, like a lot of others, 
not only of the art form, but our need to um, make sense of experience with that. And there is what we bring to any moment in any decade uh, to people's lives. Um, so for me, it, it's probably, you know, that sort of act of storying and, and also listening, like really listening to um, people's ideas or their imaginative offerings or their, their stories that they want to tell. I think too often in our schools, we assume children don't have any stories of their own um, or we assume that some stories are more important than others. And indeed, some children go through their whole schooling never having said anything about themselves. They, they, we like to silence children. And I think certainly working in a secondary context with the kind of real post-truth kind of knee-jerk kind of way, um, you know, story is part of empathy. We build empathy and compassion. <laughs> we, you know, we need to learn from our First Nations communities all over the world about how critical storytelling and listening, deep listening, the dear in, in Aboriginal culture in Australia, the deep listening that is about being at one with each other and the physical space, the planet, the plants, the skies, the animals. And so for me, I've kind of gone really starting to push more into that theoretically, you know, can, can a, a human-centred subject like drama actually adopt a post-human idea of its purpose um, and connecting children through imagination to places and stories and problems that are huge, <laughs> big ones? That's, that's, that's so much food for thought there, um definitely some some lovely ideas there and particularly the listening one spoke to me there I think um because mm. being Irish we're we're a very storytelling culture as well yes. but, um so I think that's a, a really good takeaway uh point for me to bring back to my practice mm. um so if you one piece of advice for other drama practitioners be they new be they old mm. don't give up I'd say don't give up. The work you do is more important than you realise, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and in the face of, of all the deniers, don't give up. That is, that's nice. That's, and it's a good point. <laughs> yes, you are. I can't think of anything more. Avoid, avoid the naysayers. <laughs> yeah, just don't that's give good. up. And I'd say as well, I think just in recent years, seeing how important my community has been my local community and international community has been to me um you know build 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 community build your tribe build your you know, build build people up to come with you um in 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 you know because we do have to be armed and dangerous you know in terms of our our tools and our pedagogy and our art form we have to be you know, I, I say yeah. to my students, you know, you have to be able to be articulate advocates, but I said you have to go up into any meeting with your hands up, ready to fight, ready to but with a smile on your face, yeah. <laughs> like you're happy to be there. It's, that's <laughs> a know, good because, point about the community because when mm. I was talking about this podcast to many people, they all say, oh, that's very niche. And I say, no, there's loads of us. Yeah. <laughs> there's loads of us. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I think it's so nice to, to understand that 
you know, obviously there's similarities in, in the way that we think and believe and practice our work, but there are also differences, you know, and, and getting a sense of that different world. And I think sometimes because we've been quite a small research community, you know, you, you can say, okay, you know, who are the key thinkers or who are the key researchers? It's like, well, yeah, we can all say the, the giants whose shoulders we stand on, but the work is continuing and there's new work to be done. Um, it's not over yet <laughs> by any means. <laughs> I think that's a really good note to leave on. <laughs> it's so right. It's so true. Chris, it was absolutely lovely speaking to you today. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and your passion (laughs) translates through the computer screen all the way from Australia to Canada so thanks for sharing all of those thoughts and insights and experiences. I look forward to listening to all of them what a great initiative. Thank you for listening to Hot Seating the drama education podcast brought to you by the Association of Drama in Education in Ireland. If you enjoyed the conversation today please tell a friend or two like and subscribe to hear further conversations. Mm-hmm.